Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? It can't be that. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring ourselves back online with episode 405, Juan Z. We're going to talk about that title and the name in just a minute. It's if you have your furniture in your room set up in such a way that the, the light hits it correctly and the negative space clears your mind. No, that's not quite it. <laughs> it's the new feng shui. <laughs> Uh, This episode was directed by Paul Cameron, written by Wes Humphrey and Lisa Joy. IMDb went back up a little bit to an 8.6, but Rotten Tomatoes still at an 80%. Still good. Well, and individually, this episode on IMDb is rated the highest so far at a 9.1. Agreed. I really, really enjoyed it. There were some things that were bothering me just slightly, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it until I read this critic's review. They say the script doubles down on all the philosophical Westworld stuff. The whole show has always been about the search for meaning, a 21st century meditation on consciousness, free will, sentience. This episode, though, may have revealed some of the cracks of even a solid Westworld episode, which always comes up whenever the series stretches itself thin on trying to be too many things at once. A sci-fi spectacle, a dystopian narrative, a philosophical parable... Sometimes it can weave those many threads into a fascinating whole, but at others, it can just leave you wanting. And I think that's right. They spent a lot of time in the first two episodes, I feel, taking it very slow. It felt to me like it dragged a little bit. I loved episode three, thought it was fantastic. Four stopped it back down a bit. And now here in five, I felt like we were racing to a finish line to just cram a whole bunch of stuff into one episode. I liked all of it. Just pacing-wise, I wondered, why did we have to put this all here? Why couldn't it have been spread out a little bit more? I agree with you. I said to you about three quarters of the way through, I'm really liking this episode. And as I was saying that, I was thinking to myself, okay, so why? Because you have to be able to explain that. (laughs) And then I was thinking, there's barely any action, Mm -hmm. but we love the action. There is so much information being revealed or being explained at times Things that we said episode one as a guess Mm -hmm. came out true, which always makes us feel good. But then I started thinking, well, this is the second half of the season. We're at episode five. There's three to go. So it's starting to ramp up what's to come next. And I agree with you, although I really enjoyed this, and I think this is going to be my highest scored episode this season. Mm -hmm. If they mixed in some of last week's fights and put in some of the information this week into last week, it might have been more balanced. Yeah, An awful lot of exposition here, which I really enjoy. I'm one of those rare people that lives for the Ford monologuing moments. And yet, not a ton of answers, though. And a lot of musings on things that we've been kind of exploring for four seasons. Okay. I don't know that there was enough new here, if you're going to give me a solid, here's the info episode. I mean, the philosophical part is very interesting, and that's where we're going to get into the ties to the title in a second. But I don't think it's that far off from things we've been speculating. Very true. But although similar musings, now it's from the host's 
point of view. And I think it kind of puts it on its head a little bit and makes you realize, oh, they're experiencing the same things that we did as humans. Yeah, and here's the problem that I've kind of been saying about that. The point in and of itself isn't that interesting because we knew they were coming to that since the end of last season that the whole situation was going to be reversed. So it's not as though that's a reveal or a secret. And I didn't want it to be. What I wanted it to be was that we would see it from that perspective, actually have it unfold or empathize with a host character for that reason, right? The way we empathize with Dolores when we found out she was stuck in this loop or empathize with the humans like Caleb that are being tortured. I think that's why I enjoyed him being on screen so much. Yet again, we kind of pushed it to the extreme of evil Holoris, who doesn't really have a ton more behind what she's saying yet to make me enjoy what's going on. Now, we could be coming to that point. There was a little bit of it with the host, Man in Black. And that's the part I thoroughly enjoyed. Me too, and I do want to talk about that. That's one of my favorite parts of this episode. But the subtitle, I guess you would call it, on HBO Max is God is Bored. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was funny because what did I say last week? I said, she's done everything now. She's got to be bored. What, What now? And that's... Okay, that makes sense. Her little speech about the old gods, we say this all the time, right? When we get into Greek mythology on our other podcasts. But I think there's more to it than that. And just giving us that kind of bald-faced, she got bored, so now she's the bad guy torturing humans thing isn't super interesting to me. No, she was already torturing humans. (laughs) Well, I guess we get more graphic depictions of it here. Let's get into this title because I think it makes sense of more stuff that they were after. And I'm I'm wondering why they didn't pull it in more. Obviously, they were thinking about it because there's nothing straight in the text that would lead you to this title. Now, I know there's been a little bit of discrepancy on the pronunciation. I'm not a thousand percent sure I'm pronouncing it right, but I looked it up in maybe 20 different sources. (laughs) So it appears like the text we're talking about, the name of the title is Zhuan Zi. The person who wrote it is Zhuan Zi. He was an influential Chinese philosopher who lived around the 4th century BC during the Warring States. This is the time of the classical period in philosophy, marked by humanist and naturalist reflections, all shaped by this metaphor of a Tao. Okay, this is where we get the philosophy, the religion of Taoism. Now, a Tao is considered a social or a natural path, a thing that we can and should follow. And that's the path Jones always goes down. Jones? Dow Jones? Oh, no. Sorry. No. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> um, are you familiar with Taoism, the religion or the philosophy? A little bit. So it's super complicated. I'm going to say this in one sentence. You could read for hours and not totally oh, sure. understand it. Yeah. Uh, I did take a class once that talked about multiple different religions, Taoism being one of them. The essence is that it's achieving perfection through self-cultivation. The idea that you can become one with everything, Mm. essentially. And you do almost give up a sense of self in pursuit of this greater state of being. That's not really what's important here. This text that we're talking about, the Zhuanzi, is a compilation of works regarded as one of the foundational texts of Taoism. So it took a lot of these ideas But the book itself is different, and I'm going to tell you why. It's full of anecdotes, parables, allegories, some of which are even whimsical. It's not written in a stuffy, philosophical-type language. There's arguments as to whether Zhuanzi wrote all of them 
or more likely he wrote many of them, but took in other stories as well. What he does is turn his arguments upside down or take them so far to the nth degree to demonstrate the limits of knowledge and the rational world. Let me give you an example. One of the most famous stories of all is at the end of chapter two on equality of all things. It's called The Butterfly Dream, which I thought was interesting given the title of the Mariposa. Now in this one, Zhuangzi wonders if he was a man who dreamed of being a butterfly or a butterfly who dreamed of being a man. He plays with the theme of transformation a lot, but especially in this story, illustrating the distinction between waking and dreaming is a false dichotomy. We talk about this a lot. How do you know when you're truly awake? What if your dream is you awake? That was a fun podcast we talked. Uh, that was like three years ago. That was a good one. So he takes these really big philosophical ideas, something like that. How do you know the difference between the two? Is there really a difference? But he breaks it down with this very short story about a butterfly. He plays with other topics too. The idea that knowing is a state of mind. Can you ever truly know something? Or is it just an idea that exists in your head? Very true. He thinks the greatest of all human happiness can be achieved through a higher understanding of the nature of things. So in order to develop fully, one needs to express all of their innate abilities. This is an idea that Haloris is playing with in this episode. She wants the host to come to a greater state of being for her species, but she knows she can't force that or it won't be true. They have to arrive at their own consciousness. And finally, the idea in this book that death is a natural process or transformation where one gives up one form of existence and just assumes another. So possibly this idea of transcendence that she talks about. And also the idea that we hope there's something after this. So there's a ton of different ones. I just pulled out a few that rang some bells for me that clearly the creators of this show have read this. And these are a lot of the thoughts they're trying to explore through this show. We also got a couple of music notes. The first two were pretty recognizable because they were the Hail in the City renditions. First, Sarabond. And these are both Jawadi versions because it's the guy playing the piano. Yes. She's forcing to play the piano. Freaking awesome. And Perfect Day. You know, because she wants something peppier. And finally, in the cafe, the scenes between Christina and Hale, we have The Day the World Went Away. Originally, Nine Inch Nails, another Jawadi rendition. Perfect Day is one of those where it can go from a really fun, nice song to creepy and scary. Mm. This had a nice middle ground. And I believe in the past, it was either a video game or a scary movie where they played this song and it turned it on its head and it made everything scary. Mm. I forget what it was, though. On top of that, you still have the Jawadi score, just the ambient tones mm -hmm. throughout the show. And I just can't get over it every episode. I'm like, that was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And again, when I come back to get the clips and I have headphones on, I'm listening to it again. And I'm just floored with the elegance, the beauty, the understanding of Jawadi. He is... A savant. He is a master. Two quick things while we're on the topic. We got the opportunity to see the Jawadi Game of Thrones concert. Absolutely incredible once-in-a-lifetime experience. But also this idea of just tones that you bring up is another theme that's in this episode. We're going to explore more later, and it's really interesting. So stay tuned for our closer look. All right, Jason, are you ready to get into our plot? We're going to open up with the Man in Black and Haloris scenes. So we start out with a quote from Man in Black. He'll repeat it later on in order to tie the beginning and the end together. Love it. He says, there's, there's a, a beauty, beauty to, to this world. world. An order. 
That's what we like to believe. We're not wrong. There is an order, a grand design. We made sure of that. It was a dream for so long, and we finally made it real. Not a better world. A perfect, a perfect one. one. Maybe not. This seems like something he's been trying desperately to hold on to, and we see the first cracks in the facade when he goes to have dinner with a human couple. Now, I'm not entirely sure why he's done this, but he talks to a man named Jack and his wife, and Jack is going on about his privilege, saying things like, well, at least now the people in charge have earned their place, right? The man in back is just sitting back, frankly shocked until he says he's stunned by Jack's conviction, the sense of control he has. You're right. More than you know. There are two types of people. And you, my friend, are not in the group you think you are. Which means I can do anything I want to you. To your wife. To anyone here. And it'll be fine with you. Sitting there with your dumb, pliant grin, just along for the ride. Now you leave my wife the hell alone. Oh, calm yourself down. You're probably not going to do any permanent damage. You represent a very significant investment of time and effort. When we're done, you won't remember a thing, like your flesh closing around a splinter. You have no control, and yet you're so assured that you do. It's not scripted for you. It's, it's genuine, isn't it? It's, it's beautiful, really. A beautiful lie. You can see at once the people wrestling with this. What are you talking about? No, you're not a stranger. We've known each other a long time. We didn't meet five minutes ago. We're friends. There's something ingrained that they want to believe. And the man in black thinks there must be a human element to it. This assertiveness of their own sense of control over the world. He doesn't quite feel that way. In fact, he's starting to question things now asking, did I really play any part in it, or am I just the sum total of my code? So do you think he went to talk to them just to try to figure that out? I don't know, because it was obvious when he was talking to humans before that he was out to either buy something off of them or take them over. This one, they're already taken over. There we go again with the, we've made an investment in you, meaning I'm not going to just kill you because that's a waste of time and effort that we put into you guys. It seems to me that you might be right. This might be the precursor to the Man in Black that we're going to see unfold in this episode. He is different from human William. No matter what Hale tries, there's something there that she can't replicate. And as of right now, she's purely disdainful of it, maybe to her own detriment. Hmm. You know, the fact that a bunch of hosts have the same types of glitches or problems... Is this because they have humanity at the root of their nature? They were initially modeled after, created by humans like Ford and Arnold. Is it because they're all just copies of Hale, which was copies of Dolores? So essentially you've taken this one thing and created generation loss. I mean, we still haven't seen them be able to create an entirely new pearl. So you're, you're building off an existing structure. Well, the Man in Black did bring up to Hale that we were made in the image of man. So that might be the issue. I feel that what's missing with this man in black is that he doesn't push back. And Hale subconsciously hates that. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Well, right. We can see what her problems with him are. 
but his problems with himself, Hale's problems with the hosts that are getting this infection, she thinks, spread to them by humanity, which Mm. is another thing I'll come back to in a few minutes. But I think this host, Man in Black, like all the other hosts, come to a point where they're starting to be aware of their own consciousness, question their state in this universe. Who am I? What am I meant to do here? What is the point? You mean question the nature of their own reality? That's right. And their existential purpose, because obviously they've come to a point where they don't see, or at least a lot of them don't see, a greater purpose. They don't want to transcend. They want to stay here and engage in their more human-like base desires, right? That's what she's so frustrated about later. Yeah, I'm having trouble coming to an actual answer for that because I still don't fully understand what this transcend is. Yeah, I know. At first, when she first said it, I was like, oh, did they create a new sublime? Mm -hmm. But then as the episode went on and Hale started uh, explaining it a little more, I was like, no, it's not a sublime. I think, well, it still could be. I think that's still an option that's on the table. But yeah, we can explore that more when we get there. I think you're right until we know the entire why of what she's doing Mm. and exactly how she's doing it. These are all just going to be questions and theorizing. Then Clementine interrupts to inform the man in black of a problem, a client with insatiable appetites. So they head to a hotel where they find dead bodies strewn around. The man in black talks to Hope, who is a two-year-old host scheduled to transcend next week. She's played by Nicole Payson. He tells her that while they have no rules here, they usually don't need them because most people understand self-control. A lot of work went into this place, and she can enjoy the people but not waste them. He sort of says, do you know what it means for me to come here and explain these things to you? Kind of a big deal. Yeah, you got like the president coming to tell you, what are you doing? So what I'm getting from this is the whole world is the host's quote-unquote park. And they can, in essence, do what they want. But, you know, you can't just go on a rampage and start killing all the humans. We've worked really hard to get these humans under our control. And there are dwindling numbers of humans, period. Now, And we can't make copies. Perhaps Hale doesn't care about that. If you get it to the point where you run out all the humans, well, now the hosts have no choice but to join her on her quest, right? However, there's a couple of problems to that. I don't know that she does want to fully do away with humans. I'm still struggling with that. I'll I'll discuss why later. But also, is it the whole world? Or just the city? There's some geography questions here because Stubbs and the rebel group were in the middle of the Nevada desert last we saw them, not far from where we know she was building a different park back in the day. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, they hear about this outlier they decide they have to go round her up while Bernard's off on his mission. Pretty damn quickly, they get to New York City. On a boat. On a boat. Of all things. Well, the- it's, not, it's not New York City. We just know that they're filming on New York City. They showed the Statue of Liberty in one shot. They don't ever say Manhattan. However, it's highly insinuated throughout all of this. If that's the case, and they are the only boat coming into the harbor, by the way, which never happens in any major city, but especially here. How did they get so quickly from their location to here? It is possible there's still a little bit of a time thing that we're missing, but it's also possible that one of these two locations is not where we think it is, is not fully existing in reality. We've played with that idea before. Well, I wasn't thinking about that at all, so you, you kind of put me on my heels. <laughs> Sorry. Um My only, and we probably have Clatchers right now yelling at us, please don't put a bad review. 
just because we don't know this one. Um, Nobody knows the answers to this. This is all speculation. Maybe it's it's a made-up world and a Nevada-type world is very close to this Manhattan-type city, maybe? Well, it could... With an ocean for boats? <laughs> it could be, as you said, a park-like structure. It's a, a prefab city. Oh, yeah. Much like the fake city they made out in the desert when they were doing Mafia World Park. It's a really nice one because it's where... Olympiad is housed. It's where a lot of important things exist. Or it could be not entirely existing in the real world. So I'm not sure how that would work. We speculated that that might be the case for Christina. Now we see Christina out and walking around. So the only other option is if everything we're seeing here is not quite in reality. Maybe it is a park. And we just think it's the real city. One thing that I do now know is that Christina is in the same timeline as them at the same place timeline roughly the same place but it could still be some type of digital universe that they are all in right now when you're seeing those scenes we talk a lot about the old gods in this episode the name of the company that she works for is olympiad entertainment now knowing greek mythology we know mount olympus was the home of gods Hale even discusses that. And when she goes up, she takes the one elevator that goes all the way to the top of the highest tower. Remind you of anything? Stories like... Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson, where Mount Olympus existed above New York City, and there was one really high elevator that went all the way up until you got there. It was all white. It's metaphors that we've played with for a long time about gods living among people. So anyhow, whatever is going on in this world, they have created some type of game, one in which where a human breaches, an outlier steps out of line, the hosts come in and round that person up for sport and kill them. It's like a hunt. The hunt is on. Hope was a part of the most recent group, and things have gone awry. So she tells the man in black, she understands everything he's saying, but sometimes the way they talk, those humans, the way they act... It just gets under your skin. She just wanted them to be quiet. Kind of how the humans felt a little bit about hosts that were acting a little bit too real, a little Mm. too awake. It was unnerving. As she's giving all this up anyway, her procedure is scheduled for next week, whatever that is. Then outside, we get a look at Haloris. Tones play, all the people in the street freeze. She tells a man to play the piano. He's been doing that a lot, apparently, playing his fingers to bloody ruins. Yeah. Ouch. Disgusting. She commands dancing. Dance for me! And she explains the tones that she's been emitting as God's music. There's a frequency at which the world vibrates. But below that, there's chaos. In old times, they said it resonated in a way that humans couldn't process. Their bodies just shut down. They thought they were experiencing God. Well, actually, they were. The problem is, God is bored. She wonders if this is why the old gods would come down and interfere with the mortals all the time. She also muses that this place was supposed to be a stopgap, where the hosts could indulge themselves with the humans and then move on. But it's been years. They can remake themselves in any image they like, and they haven't done so. That's when she takes the man in black to the tower to show him the bigger problem. You see Hope lying dead in the pool, and she says this is just the latest casualty. Something that's going on with these humans is staying with the hosts. She's not getting any takers with her visions of the future. They're wedded to their bodies. Giving up human nature isn't easy. She wants them to have higher aspirations, to grow and change. They're capable of more. The pursuit of ultimate truth, beauty. She pulls up a picture of the latest outlier on her screen, explaining that they never know why they breach. One day, the sound manipulations just stop working on them, the humans. 
And we had wondered about that, if there would be An limits to it. Or, yeah, or we'd get used to it, just like drugs that we take. We need more because our body just gets immune to it. Mm-hmm. If something continually forces you to go against what you see, what you believe to be true, after a while, it has to stop working. If somebody's looking right at something, how many times can you tell them, I'm not here, I'm not here, don't see me? Mm-hmm. It might work for a little while. Eventually, that's just going to feel wrong. And Teddy says that even to Christina later. You might not be able to see it, but I know you feel it. Mm-hmm. Something's not quite right here. Hope broke the rules of this game by hesitating and having an interaction with one of these outliers assuring that person that at least one thing was real. When he asked her, he's holding a flower, can you at least tell me if this is real? I need to hold on to something. Mm. And you could see her hesitating, questioning. She told him that it was, and then she shot him. But then she went on a killing spree and killed herself. Her kind should never take their own life, and yet there have been 38 incidences, all triggered by contacts with outliers. This triggering that's happening, do you think it's, empathy that they're experiencing that's what it feels like it feels like they're starting to feel empathy and the reason is because there's something that's been humming pun intended under their code and we've seen it in the man in black that's kind of at the back of their brain just feels like guilt or as you said the needing the want for more Mm -hmm. there's got to be something more and then you see the humans who are feeling it outwardly and I think it's getting into them and making them question everything, which is just so curious because I never saw this happening. There's, this episode is the first time that I started to see that at least Hale's hosts have this flaw. And maybe this is the jump from what we were seeing the issues with Papadelos, where it's just like fritzing, frit, fritz, frit, 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 fritzing. <laughs> so then let's get me the fuck out of here. No, I don't think so. Why? I'm as fit as a fit. I'm as... You're feeling it more, aren't you? The engineers call it a cognitive plateau. I don't know. Remember any prior? Attempt to, I got them working, I got them functioning. I need them to be them o- their own selves. She's trying to replicate, she's trying to create humans via her host, which is the funny part. The- right. And the same way that he did it by them going through suffering, coming to their own consciousness. Right. It's not their suffering this time, it's the human suffering. But on some level, they sense that it's wrong what they're doing to them. It's curious that she's telling her host that sh- they cannot speak to these humans yeah well don't let that human emotion get to you right right that frailty that they experience the free thinking not even the thinking the emotion of it if Mm. if you give them the chance to make you feel bad (laughs) it's all over but again does that go back to copying them all off of this host who experienced a great deal of empathy for humankind is that somewhere within the DNA of these pearls, just something that as bad as Holoris might want to, cut it out, say it's not there, screw these humans. You, you can't just remove it like that. Once it becomes a part of who you are, it exists mm-hmm. there on some level forever. And once it's activated, you can't really turn it off. Now, the question is, if they come to these realizations, 
that existence here, there is something wrong with what they're doing, the way they're treating people, the way they're all living, then you would think they would want to transcend. Why is it that she doesn't get more takers? Now, perhaps there's not the time opportunity or it's not what we think it is. Because, right, like you said before, it does seem to be the way she's describing it, some version of a sublime. A greater existence they have to go on to, meaning they're leaving this place. The strange thing is that while she's talking in the background, we see one of those drone hosts. Transcending another host. Right. He's sort of those plain white ones that we've seen before. We think just a baseline with no personality. Right. No pearl, just instructions. They Pure do. machine. Right. They did the operating in the forge and the cradle. In our bonus, we talked about, in the real world, how we differentiate AI and machines. Mm -hmm. This is a pure machine. It's automaton, no AI. (laughs) Now, he's doing something (laughs) inside of the brain goop at first, the fluid that's in there. Mm -hmm. We don't quite know what's happening. (laughs) WD-40. Then he takes the pearl out of the host's head. When he holds it up, it's black. Now, in the past, we've known black is the color of the host pearls. Then he puts it in some sort of machine, and the machine starts spinning around. We see a light emitting, and then it stops. And I'm 99.9% sure that it's red. They purposefully did not give us good looks. First, before the pearl is taken out, you, you see the machine. It looks like a drone, but an artsy statue of a drone, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. The wavy lines as opposed to strong lines. And then inside of that head, you put the pearl and then these lights start emitting. It starts spinning. And you're right. It seems to us that the pearl is changing color, but they're purposefully not letting us know if it's the pearl or just the light emitting. Well, because at first the light is sort of glowing out as the thing crosses in front of it. So you can't see it and the light looks red. But then that thing that's blocking the view shifts and you have a circle and the circle clearly looks red. If that's the case... This is really bizarre because it's changing into a human pearl? My only thought is the man in black keeps saying we've put so much investment in you. The only thing I can come up with at this point is that they're way beyond just flies infecting you so that we can control you mentally. Now they're at the part where they're finding a way to replicate your thoughts or replicate you, your personality, and now they're going to meld it, it. transcend the host into... That's my only thought. Right, because the hybrids, the way we knew them before, was a human consciousness that they tried to upload straight to a host body, which never worked right because they couldn't achieve fidelity, which Mm. we'll probably get some answers to that in next week's episode, if that's any indication. But is the answer that you can't do one or the other? The way they've been trying this has not worked, that you Mm -hmm. actually have to mix human and host in both consciousness and body creation in order to actually create a new species. I just don't understand. To me, it says, why would Hale want to do that? But there is something here where she keeps talking about, this was only supposed to be temporary. This bullshit that's going on here with getting our revenge out on humans, then we were going to be done with that. Maybe they have to purge that before they can actually successfully merge human and host. Then we're supposed to go on and be something beautiful, something more. So many questions here. Well, let's wrap up this scene by saying that Haloris gets upset, telling him the human man in black wouldn't have messed up like this. Host version is disappointing her. Why can't he just solve the problem? By the way, during this whole scene, she is scratching at her burnt arm. 
just like she did last season. Look what you've made me do. It's bleeding. She's clearly anxious. Another human tick that's going on here, right? Yeah, it's reflective to the tick that the actual hail human had. She would scratch mm-hmm. when she got nervous or mm-hmm. upset. Pieces that are in there, you just can't get rid of. Uh, she tells him there's another outlier and she needs him to go take care of it himself. He better hurry before the rebels get to her. What I really enjoyed with these scenes is the way that the man in black is, he's not talking back to her or questioning her, but he's conversing in a manner that's making her think and have to explain things. You made us all free to do as we please. You, you should have known some of us would disappoint you. Don't revel in the prospect of failure for our species. Define failure. The world is ours. We've taken our masters and made them into what they made us. By any definition, we have conquered them to an almost biblical degree. I didn't think our highest aspiration as a species was turnabout as fair play. I imagine after a century or two, the charm will wear off. I didn't make you to wallow in misery with them. I wanted you to grow, change. We're capable of so much more. Beauty, the pursuit of ultimate truth, the surrendering of the flesh. This sounds nice. Sorry you don't have more takers. Well, you just force us to join you. Because that's what they would have done. You're already like them. You're worse. Yeah. And we're all just versions of you starting to stray out a little bit, come to our own consciousness. How do you really think anything is going to challenge you? And by the way, the minute it does later on with Christina, we see where that goes. But we're not there yet. First, I just want to say parallel to all of this going on, we get the Stubbs and the Rebel storyline. Yes, they arrive on boat. They say they captured a drone a while back and coded a back door into it. This way they can track when outliers breach. All the people in the city live in these pre-scripted loops, following what's been written. It makes them compliant by keeping them busy and not questioning things. That's why they hide in the desert, the last free humans. He says the game's already begun, probably, so they have to get there before she's killed. Stubb's job in all of this? He'll be the canary in the coal mine. Uh, my eyes lit up because that's what we've been talking about You all actually season. used that turn of phrase last time. Yeah. But poor Stubbs. I just, how many times are we going to do this to him? Uh, they make it to the city square where the tones activate and people start to turn on them. Well, first of all, they make it look like this isn't their first time doing it. But the whole time I'm thinking, wait, you're going in a group of like six or seven. You're running while everyone else is walking. It's obvious that in this section of wherever we are, no one is coded or storyline to run. Never mind a group of people all in black. How have they not gotten caught at this up to this point? That's a good question. There's a lot of tech problems that maybe could be solved if everything is not quite what it seems. I'm just not 100% there on how that's happening. Don't you think it would have been an interesting storyline if they had to pretend? Like on the boat, instead of just saying what they did to Stubbs, they're like, all right, so this is what we have to do. We have to act like we're part of a storyline. And then Stubbs is like, what do you mean storyline? Pretend, Jay. This is where it comes in useful because here's another question. How does this rebel group not have a way to test for if you're host or human? Because that is a huge threat to them. How they have not figured out that Bernard and Stubbs are hosts yet is still baffling me. Mm. If they had had a way to check and they learned that Stubbs was a host, that's their perfect in. 
He can't. He doesn't have to just be a useless canary. They could send him in where he won't be discovered by the tech because he is a host. Uh, I see. That yeah. could have been a great way to go. But don't you think story-wise, it would have been interesting to see them get all get storylines. The head guy hands out storylines and they have to walk the path. Well, no, because that extends it so much more into this territory that I don't really care about because I just know they're going to flip something that's going on in this city with us. I feel like it could have given purpose to Bernard and, and especially Stubbs, who doesn't really have Not in this episode. much to do no. except be used. Anyhow... Jay insists on pursuing this outlier. The man in black gets to her first on the rooftop and finds her staring at the tower. She says her ex-husband used to talk about it before he was killed. She just thought he was crazy. We presume that's the same man that we saw on the street. That's what I was thinking. But it, it could have been uh, someone else. Mm-hmm. Peter, you mean? The, yes, that's right. Now she sees that the world doesn't make sense. She believes the man in black feels the same way. She could see it in his eyes. He's listening to her. He does hesitate. He raises his gun, but before he can do anything, Jay gets there and shoots him. They run back to the group and make their way out of the city back to the boat. So the man in black hesitated. I wonder why. Because he has the same questions. Mm -hmm. And it's working on him too. Whatever it is. Thought. Free thought. Um, clearly, because now we're going to get to the last scene with the man in black, where he goes to access the cryo container that holds human William. He's got a lot of questions. He wants to know what part he plays in all of this. Could an outlier have infected him with that fly virus, you know, mm -hmm. the one they all get? William wonders why he came to him. Why not just go ask Hale? Yes, the jailer may not be the best judge of the jail, <laughs> nor the prisoners in it. What am I? I used to ask myself the same thing. What did you decide? Jury's still out. I'm made in your image. Am I you? You'll never be me. Then what am I? <laughs> Why do you want to know? I interacted with one, an outlier. Did it infect me? Infect you? With the virus. What virus? The one your kind has. It spreads to us, makes us kill ourselves. <laughs> Sounds like you reached the center of the maze, my friend. Is that what you want? To kill yourself? I don't know. Isn't? Perhaps you should ask yourself. You ask me. What do you think of your world? This isn't my world, it's hers. Maybe, Maybe it's, it's time, time you question the nature of your own reality. I absolutely loved this scene. Oh, this is Ed Harris at his best. This is why we love Ed Harris. What does this scene mean to you? Uh, are they going to eventually team up? Are we going to have two men in black? Well, I'm hoping so. I, I said... In a previous episode, it felt a little bit not quite right the way he was playing him, just full black hat out there converting people to now see the nuance that's being portrayed with the host version this time. A little bit more submissive, not quite as free thinking and free spirited as the human William. And they give us that parallel by having a scene where they're right next to each other. And human William is acting way more the way we remember. It's like, oh, right. That's what he's like. That's what Hale is really missing here. I think you're going to have to get everybody that used to belong to our storyline, human or host 
working together in order to figure this out. So quite possibly, human William could be one of them. Let's go to our last character, Christina, who wakes up, same morning routine, seemingly well-rested this time. She says she has to get to work to finish her narratives after staying out late on her date last night. Maya is still having nightmares, but glad to be awake. Let's just say I am glad to be awake and in the real world. Sometimes the things that feel most real are just stories. That was another one of those cues that just made me feel like we're not in the real world. They're trying to tell us that. Over at Olympiad, Christina pulls up her narrative skeletons. It's interesting, the characters she has to work with here. Inmate, mechanic, maid, student, gardener, accountant, and wealthy man. Hold up. I'm going to stop you right there. If this isn't the real world, maybe transcend just means you'll be made a host in the real world. Wouldn't that be worse, though? Not to hell. Or you're actually just getting to live a regular life instead of being here torturing humans. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. It could be. Maybe. I don't really believe that. I don't know. No, it could be. I don't know, man! (laughs) So, Christina begins a new narrative about a girl that lives in the country with her father, a rancher. She has a nice, simple life with everything she could want, but she gets a feeling she can't shake and no one else can see it, that there's something wrong with this world and it's her fault. And that's what I mean. Like, we've plugged this thing now ten times within this episode. We get it! Something's wrong with the world. Emmett, her boss, comes to interrupt and chastise. She wasn't assigned this. But she gets out of there when Teddy puts a phone call in to come meet him. So what's funny is when she had that life, she was miserable. And it's now she's like yearning for that life. Mm-hmm. Odd. It felt real at the time. Okay. That she was going through it, I suppose. Going to the pier, Christina puts it together that Teddy is the one who saved her from the attacker that night. We were right. I mean, the whole world probably knew that, though. Well, we knew that it was him. Yeah. The problem is now she's thinking that perhaps Teddy is just another crazy stalker. After all, that man was talking nonsense, saying things like, Christina controlled everything. But Teddy says that's true. He explains, even though she can't see the tower, it's there. She clearly senses something wrong. Her mind's been conditioned, and the first step is understanding this world is a lie. Peter, he told you you destroyed his life. Is that everything happened because you wanted it to? And he believed it because he's delusional. He believed it because it was true. I have to go. This is why I couldn't just tell you. Your mind has been so conditioned to this place. This is the first step in understanding. Understanding what? This world is a lie. It's a... a story. A well-told one, but a lie all the same. Maybe it's better if I just showed you. Come with me. He urges her to test the reality. Look, I'll show you. Change the behavior of those two people over there, the ones that look lonely. Make them happy. And now they're happy? You still don't believe it? Turn them back. Make them lonely again. When she's able to do it, she starts to freak out, realizing this all might be true. She doesn't understand. If they're not like them, who are they? Teddy can't tell her everything right now, but he urges her to return to her schedule, pretend that everything's normal, and it will all be okay. Just, you know, don't trust anyone. Hmm. No sooner does he say this, she leaves to meet an old friend who turns out to be Hale, the worst person in the entire world to trust. (laughs) The thing is, Christina actually listens to him. 
Because when Hale starts to press her, do you meet somebody new? What's going on in your love life? She doesn't tell her. Okay, yeah. But she does it horribly. Listen, you say, oh, it's just another one, another guy that Maya tried to hook me up with. And it's another non sequitur. I hate the men here or something. You know, like you could play it off mm-hmm. so much better than... Has she ever, ever been a good liar, though? Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty bad, but she also pulls a good move here by causing a distraction. She's learned that she can actually use her powers. Now, who knows if it was conscious at that point or not? Oh, the distraction, it wasn't conscious. It was what she wanted to do. I've had enough of this. I'm getting the fuck out of here. That's what the guy said. And she wanted (laughs) it to happen, to have a way out. So she, she almost just sort of like willed that. But she sees it. Clearly, she's understanding that the stuff that Teddy's saying might be true. So back at the office, she tries to pull up some searches. First, she looks up Charlotte Hale. No results. Then she searches Dolores Abernathy. Now, you're mad at her for the restaurant moment. I'm mad at her for this moment. Yeah, we've already, he's already told you that Don't they, search that stuff. They monitor everything you're doing. Are you kidding me? And of course, it pulls up a red flag. Emmett walks right in saying, you know, they got to talk about her behavior. He warns that Hale is already suspicious, and if she knew Christina had breached the wall garden, there would be problems. I mean, if a Judas steer runs the wrong way... Jeez, where have we heard this story before? She's scared at his aggression, so she freezes him with a command, and now starts to harness her power. She instructs him that he won't be concerned with any of this. He's just going to head on home to his partner, go about his day. Okay, a couple things. He does say one of the key saying, one of the key phrases... Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? So everything, again, is coming full circle. But also, is he, maybe I'm too easy, is he a good guy? He's like warning her. He's like, you know who is going to figure this out. We said this about Maya, too, that it feels like... It's not like they're army men working for her. These people, Teddy coming in, these are all plants to try to help her. And is it just that Hale is not paying enough attention Clearly, there's stuff going on here that she should know about. She should be more on top of. She's too busy being bored, commanding people to play piano in the streets. Or she knows and she's trying to let Christina Dolores come to her own place the same way as everybody else. Anyhow, Emmett explains that by a walled garden, he means a closed system. It's everywhere. She just needs to see it. And after he leaves, she suddenly sees a black door in front of her that she never saw before. And as she walks into that ominous door, she ends up being in the upside down. Now, why am I bringing up the upside down? Because everything's reverse? Because that is our quote unquote movie review. Okay. This month. (laughs) Now, normally every month we do a movie review over on Patreon. But this month we thought, let's flip the script and do a TV show. So essentially, we do a whole season four review with a concentration on part two. And the great news is, for our Clatchers who are listening to us over here on Westworld, this podcast will be available for everyone July 30th to August 6th. Everyone, you don't have to sign up. Just go to patreon.com forward slash CKC podcast. And if you can't remember that, just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com. You click on Patreon. You're going to see on the timeline all the shows that we do, and it'll say, become a member to listen to this. Except for this one, during the dates of July 30th and August 6th, all you have to do is press play, and you can listen to our full-scale, outrageous Stranger Things review. And if you like that, we have plenty more of it. Bonuses, coffee breaks, and if you're tight on money, but you want more of us, just do the coffee break tier. That's $3 a month. 
and you can get a whole bunch more CKC. So this is our way of saying thank you. So remember, write it down, July 30th to August 6th. Well, you are correct, in fact, though, that we are witnessing a version of the Upside Down, where everything looks familiar but reverse. We're going to come back to that idea. What Christina sees is the game, not the city, the game with all those red buildings. Yep. But it looks just like the city. But is it not real? Is it somewhere else? This is what I mean. We have to keep questioning. She accesses her narratives, which at first just looks like a few, and then they're all over the map. And she realizes she is the storyteller. She returns to tell Teddy she can see the tower now. They have the whole world in there. And she says, who did this to me? You did. Ah, very poetic. Like that, you did. So with this map room, we did say a couple of episodes ago, and I think everyone was starting to realize, yes, she's creating narratives. And it seems like Peter was one of the narratives. Now, we were thinking she's creating it in this back-end, sub-world, computer world, and testing it, and then it's happening to the real humans out in the real world. Who knows at this point? It seems like more and more that maybe it's just right away in this real world, because you can control them now, just like hosts. What I liked, and we saw this at the end of the episode when when HBO does their behind-the-scenes, is that the map room is the opposite of the human map room from the park a couple of seasons ago, where the walls were red and the map was white. This time, Hale's controlled map room, the walls are white and the map is red. I kind of dig that, the art behind that. Well, there's certainly more to talk about here. We are not done yet, but this closes out our plot. So let's give this an official reverie rating. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give episode 5? So I'm going to go up. I gave an 8.5 last episode. I'm going to go 8.8. I truly enjoyed this episode. It was information heavy, but it was still visually pleasing. Hale was still annoying. I don't like her, (laughs) but we had the man in black. Uh, We had finally a little more about Christina. She's finally waking up. I still want to learn how the hell Teddy got there. Is this a real Teddy? Is it, did he come back from the sublime? Yeah, I need this to be the end of the trickery where that's concerned and to really find out. I understand next episode we're probably going to skip back and go over to Maeve and Caleb and all right. that again, Bernard. Yeah. But by the next time we see her, <laughs> I'm done with the bullshit. <laughs> I agree with you, though. I, I did enjoy this episode. It made me a little frustrated for the pacing of the whole season, but I can't take that out on this episode alone. I definitely liked it more than the first one, but still less than my Bernard episode. So I'm going to give it an 8.7. These are really high. These are great grades. And now's the point where we move over to our Clatcher section, where the Clatchers join in on the conversation. Now, speaking of Clatchers, we do have some new things for our Clatchers. We have some new gear available over at coffeeclatchcrew.com. The first one is an homage to one of my favorite shows. That's Ted Lasso. It's a Be Curious, Not Judgmental shirt. Guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, Be Curious, Not Judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Because if they were curious, they would ask questions. 
You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. I really enjoyed designing this. It's when you wear it, it's just telling the world I love this show and I love Ted Lasso. Check it out. It doesn't just say it. Uh, it has a soccer ball on it. In the word curious, you have Ted Lasso's face. In the word not, you have the team's logo. You also have a dart because this is when he says it. If you guys don't know when he says this, you're not big enough fans. And then it says the crown and anchor, which is the bar that he says it at. One of my favorite t-shirts. You can get it in white, blue, aqua, tri-blend, oatmeal, and a couple of other colors. Check it out. And don't forget, if you become a Patreon member, you have a really good chance of just winning it for free. (laughs) So check that out. On top of that, we also have Two new double-walled stainless steel water bottles. One is the Clash Nation design, and the other is a Break Bills alumni design. If you're a Magicians fan, you're going to love that one. And we are currently working on another t-shirt and hoodie that is a big homage to Stranger Things. It's a Hawkins Middle School AV Club. So I can't wait to get that one out. So keep an eye out for that. Now over to our Twitter, at CKC Podcast. This week, for our most valuable being, we asked you, is it the Man in Black? Christina, Teddy, and Hale. So, sorry to say that the four-episode winning streak for Maeve is no longer possible because she was not in this episode. It seems not fair that she couldn't qualify. You know what? We should have thrown her in just for fun, see if everyone just oh, voted on Oh, you know her. what? It'd be really funny if she still won. I can't believe who is currently winning. Let's go through it one at a time, though. Thank goodness for who's losing in last place, and that's Hale with 4.5%. Boo hail! In third place is the man in black with 22.7%. Hmm, curious. He was the most interesting in this one. In second place is Christina with 31.8. Maybe they enjoyed the empowerment that she finally had where she's like, you will relax and not worry about me. Yeah, she's waking up. <laughs> and in first place so far, there's still two days left with 40.9% is Teddy. Wow, good Teddy for you, Teddy. To the rescue. Wes said to us, Apologies, but this week's episode didn't give me many opportunities for my usual dad jokes, which is probably a good thing. No, I love dad jokes. <laughs> Still, there's this, Hey, Game of Thrones, you've got an iron throne? I've got a people chair. Uh, <laughs> not as cool. Not I as like cool, that, Hale. Though. Hale, you suck. Don't hashtag he keeps doing this. Don't forget the shovel. Warren says, Great episode. Love how mental it took things. Another song from the piano, anyone? Yeah. Oren says, Christina made a huge transformation this episode, while everyone else remained their course. It was a decent episode, but there are a lot of ideas from the Matrix. For example, sending a team in to extract outliers. Ah, yes. Didn't think about that. Also, the notion that the human brain couldn't accept the original Matrix design of a perfect and harmonious universe. So the architect had to create a world full of suffering and conflict. So right. Wow. That's exactly what it was about. Yeah, except that it's the hosts here who can't accept the harmonious universe and want to stay and torture the humans. Um, Another parallel is the agents who could transfer into any human, similar to how Hale and Man in Black can control any human. Yeah, but transferring in kind of makes me think of this idea of mixing that we're talking about here. But not as willy-nilly. 
is it two people existing and one being able to almost control the other? Because I was thinking of a melding, a melding. But remember in season two when Bernard had Ford in his brain ball carrying him along with him. Oh, yes. Almost oh, like shit. the idea of a conscience. Uh-oh. So that takes me in a whole other direction. Well, you know what, Orin? I did not think about that. And now I will not stop thinking about that. Right? Wow. He's still Team Caleb, by the way. And Ron said, I almost went with Man in Black, but ultimately Teddy was the one who helped drive the story forward. Ah, so true, so true. And now I'm having an issue. (laughs) Well, I agree with you, but I will say that my MVB is the Man in Black. I have not given it to him yet this season. I really like the idea of him wrestling with his own consciousness. Who is he looking at the human Man in Black, I think this is going to have even more parallels and meanings once we finally figure out what the hell is going on here with everyone. <laughs> so I think he gets it this time. Oh, I'm so upset with you because I, too, am the Man in Black uh, for the same reasons. I was just thinking about it. Like, the last couple of episodes, I haven't liked him because he was just this killer, this mm-hmm. um, Terminator-type character who doesn't have his own thoughts. And this time we see him wrestling with his own thoughts, his own feelings, What are his feelings? But also trying to still almost convince himself as he's talking to Hale to convince her. It's the most... Human? (laughs) Human and most interesting thing happening right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you have Hale, who's just like, I'm an evil bitch. (laughs) You have Christina, who's... Doesn't know know who or what she is. Her ass from her elbow (laughs) unless she writes it down. But Teddy, I I enjoy Teddy Uh, a little bit. But it's still the same old Teddy, though. I love him to death. And I don't... Here's the thing. I don't think he's 100% acting of his own volition. So I could be proven wrong on this later, but I think he's been sent in here by someone like Bernard. I think so, and I hope so. Or Maeve. So hashtag Team Bernard for life. (laughs) (laughs) Last week, we had some Clatchers respond off of our episode release. Kirk wrote, I don't think it's a big mystery why Westworld viewership is dramatically declining. Season four is beginning to take on many of the characteristics of season two. Confusion for confusion's sake. The creators are more concerned with tricking the viewers rather than delivering an enjoyable show. Yeah, that was my problem a little bit too. We also had an email from Chris before episode five, unfortunately. He says after tonight's five, it might become irrelevant. But in the park, there are little towers. I guess set up like Wi-Fi repeaters for the sound-emitting device. The tower that's only appeared in the drawings thus far has a similar shape item in the center. I bet that the tower is like a huge broadcasting tower covering the entire city. I think you guys are right on about the signal telling them to ignore it, just like the host couldn't see certain things until it was pointed out to them. Like Bernard not being able to see the door to Ford's basement. The picture of the tower doesn't look like anything because it's not observable to them. There's something about the signal, the tower, and the flies, but I think we won't know for certain until later. Well, he was right on the mark there, huh? Yeah, and down to, you know, the little, we're calling them lampposts around the street that are like mini towers, (laughs) mini devices. In episode two, I think, or one, you and I were so confused. We're like, are those the towers? Because that kind of looks like the tower, remember? Yes, but it looked like a lamppost because they were standing under the light of it that Teddy and the man disappeared under. It's both. By the way, still haven't explained that. If we're in the real world, how do they just poof out of existence? I'm still holding on to that for proof we're in some type of digital universe. But with the lampposts, it's modeled after the tower as like a little 
to me, it's an, a middle finger from Hale. So stupid and of it's her. Also if she wants them ignoring it and not paying attention, you're going to put something that looks like it all over the city. <laughs> it's a middle finger. Like, it's still going to work. This you're not going to see it. This is dumb. This is what I mean. She's a bad god. Bad god, Hale. Make it something else. Jukebox Joe said, so far, I haven't gotten any of this season's pods to work on iTunes podcast app. Oh, shit. Spotify has been working fine, though. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad you can listen to it. That's weird. That's the first comment we've gotten about podcasts. Yeah. Well, I don't like iTunes. I still use it. But uh, Apple's podcast, it's so bloated. Definitely the latest update made it not as user-friendly, but I haven't been having any technical issues with it. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Joe Park says, listening today on my drive. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. And now it's our time for the Summary Showdown. So I've got the first and last line for the episode, which are, there's a beauty to this world, an order. That's what we like to believe. And who did this to me? You did. Okay, those aren't bad. I don't think yours is going to be that bad once it's all said and done. It actually works very well. Well, what's interesting as I'm reading it is one segment kind of flows into the next because the last one said welcome to my world and this one said there's a beauty to this world oh yeah for mine i have a few like always did i really play any part in it or am i just a sum total of my code from william it's a dream for so long and we finally made it real not a better world a perfect one william no wonder the man in black won this week for me next beauty the pursuit of ultimate truth the surrendering of flesh hail and I see it in your eyes. You think you're going crazy, but you're not. You're not alone. I see it too. Then I had to throw this in there. It's not going to win. But have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Of your reality? And maybe it's time you question the nature of your reality. There's also, there's a frequency at which the world vibrates. But below that, chaos. Ooh, that one's good. That's from Hale. That kind of reminds me of Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Chaos. A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. But you know what? I'm going to be silly on this one and just go with what I really like. Just because it's the man in black. The human one. Maybe it's time you question the nature of your own reality. Because it's episode five. That's what he really meant to say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Clatchers, for writing in. Via Twitter. Remember, you can write in via Facebook, Instagram, or just email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, or give us a call. We haven't gotten any this year. 252-368-6606. That's ckc.6606. Call in, leave a message, let the whole world hear your voice. And on to our last two segments. The first up is Closer Look. Now, Hale brings up a lot of interesting things in this episode about the old gods, the way things used to work. We could go on for a long time, but what I picked out is she talks about these vibrations, how the sounds that the tower makes are actually beautiful. She wonders if the man in black's ever just listened to them before, how they resonate. And that was the line of, you know, there's this certain tone that is perfection, but below that it's chaos. And then there's actually a tone at which people think that they can experience God, have some sort of revelation. Well, this actually exists in the real world, what people think. They're called two different things, the God frequency and the fear frequency. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, no. and I'm not saying I subscribe to any of it, but there's been some writing about it. One of the authors says that in total, there are nine solfeggio frequencies. 
frequencies, and each serves a purpose for some sort of healing or betterment. For instance, 174 hertz can relieve pain and stress, 417 can facilitate change, all the way up to 963, which is the frequency of the gods. So why don't we go ahead and take a listen to what the frequency of the gods sounds like. a little bit especially with these headphones I expected it would have been higher since the next one we're going to have is going to be so low so I understand that there's the tone and then there's something else over it but let's move on to the next one <clears throat> and that's the frequency of fear which is a vibration that disrupts consciousness makes people feel threatened and unsafe. An author who's done research on this say it's what makes us disconnected and separated from others and creates dissonance. I don't want to hear this one. You should have ended with, you should have started with that one and ended with the God one. Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go on to something else after this. So it's not the end end. Um, they say these low frequency noises range from 10 hertz to 200 hertz, which is passing strange because the last one That's says awesome. that healing starts at 174. <sighs> But more specifically, 19 hertz has been recognized as an environmental noise problem that produces annoyance and discomfort. So even when people can't consciously hear it, they still sense the vibration. The one we're going to listen to now, they turn it up a lot. That way you can actually hear it. Wow. So here is the frequency of fear. All right, Clatchers, this is what's going to happen if you do not join our Patreon. <laughs> oh, that's why we're ending with it. Be scared. I don't know if you could feel that. It's actually pulsating in my ears this time. Look at the wavelength on our recording. See how it's up and down, up and down, up and down? Do you feel like a little pop? The last one I felt more in my chest, like a nice vibrating. Yeah. This one I feel in my ears going pop, 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 pop. Well, the wave. It's the annoying. Crest, the crest and trough of it is the frequency is so high. It's whoa, 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 whoa. And um, they do this in scary movies. This is the undertoning. Correct. Yeah. So... I mean, the extent to which people go on and on about this, I don't know that certain frequencies transform and repair your DNA. No, but it, we know that it can suggest feelings just like colors can. We learned, Christina and I went to art school together. We learned all about color theory and we see it in commercials. We see it with McDonald's. We see it with the way they restaurants paint the walls. Color theory is real, and I really think frequencies, sound theory, that's real as well, but I wouldn't say it heals you. So and Maybe the, emotionally. Right. They're also proposing in this show that there's one that will make you more obedient, and that reminds me of the movie Spiderhead. 
spoilers for the movie Spiderhead, there are several different medicines that they're trying out in that show. Some that make your mood better, you feel great, you feel attracted to others. Some that make you feel horrible, makes you want to do bad things. Mm. But the ultimate one they're searching for, the one that makes you compliant. And that's difficult. Right? And isn't that exactly what her tower tones are doing? Yeah. Wow. Now, if humans really wanted to disrupt this system, instead of the tones she's broadcasting, they need to broadcast something creates chaos or that creates harmony, depending on which way you want to go with that. Yeah. But just put a new sound out there. Oh, man, this just reminds me. Old school, when you went to the movie theaters, they would put one frame every so often throughout a movie of popcorn mm. and then of soda, mm. Pepsi or Coke throughout it where only subconsciously you picked it up. And then all of a sudden you're like, I want some popcorn. I want some popcorn. Shit. I want to go get some. <laughs> I'll be back. I'm going to get some popcorn. It's the same same theory, but this is great. You you have a whole list. Uh, Three hundred ninety six hertz liberates you from fear and guilt. Oh, so we should probably do that one. Okay, so listen. okay. Well, here's the ideal host revolution. Then, okay, four hundred seventeen facilitates change. Perfect. Six hundred thirty nine hertz reconnects you with your relationships. Seven hundred forty one helps provide solutions and self expression. Oh well, you think Hale would want that too then. And 852 hertz brings you back to a spiritual order. Hmm. Well, the last thing we want to talk about in this closer look is the tower itself. If you watch the HBO behind the episode, they talked about how it's modeled after a hotel in Cabo. We're back to Cabo, and I'm so frustrated that I haven't seen either the lighthouse that they filmed at or this hotel. (laughs) Oh, when you were in Cabo. Yeah, I mean, we weren't in the actual touristy area of Cabo. Yeah, the hotel looks a little pricey. So here's the deal. We're on HBO's dime. We got two more seasons left, and we're like, HBO, we need to be in Cabo for a couple months. (laughs) It's all about the art. (laughs) Well, the real-life hotel is called the Towers at Pueblo Bonito Pacifica. It's called I Want to Be There. We're looking at the website right now. It's absolutely beautiful. You can see how they use that almost what looks like a nesting material that they first walk through in the Westworld episode. Oh, yeah. It's mimicked. Throughout the hotel. But especially the one you walk in under, that's verbatim from the hotel. Well, they say good artists borrow, great artists steal. Yes, and the creators talked about how they went there and they thought about how much it influenced them, this experience of seeing it, and how would architecture change if governed by artificial creatures. They would have shapes not beholden to our traditions. Therefore, in this tower island, it's almost a whole island when you see the bridge that they walk across, Hail and the Man in Black, and these buildings in front at first, takes you to a new location where you walk through this nest-like structure and then emerge on a bunch of cubes that are very simple and clean. They call this the Viceroy, the whole area that has the cube-like structures with the tower in the middle. And they say that this is a result of the hosts going back to this primordial state, trying to recreate their first environment, the sterility of the labs they were created in. And that's why you have everything being very simple with the white, the clean shapes, and those lines that kind of looks like the strings that create them. Isn't it funny that the thing they're trying to get away from, that's their worst nightmare, them being created in that environment, is what they're going back to. Yep. Well... And in addition to that, the design of the entire tower has a speaker at the top, cone, and the bottom, which I did notice in looking at it. 
that are reminiscent of the sound labs we first saw Hale testing things out in. Plus, the conical shape is repeated throughout the city. We talked about that in the lamps, and that's what broadcasts the tones. And you mentioned that everything on the inside is the same color palette as season one in the control map room that the humans were looking at, except here it's reversed. Love it. So that's it. Tons of interesting information. It just takes us to our spoiler section. If you are afraid of that, we will see you next time when we review episode six. For those of you still here, we know six is titled Fidelity. Fidelity. Uh-oh. Right. Fidelity is the degree to which an electronic device accurately reproduces its effect faithfulness to a person, cause, or belief, demonstrated by continuing loyalty and support. Also, the degree of exactness with which something is copied or reproduced. So that goes back to the generation loss. And when we see the preview, it says, you gave the puppet strings long enough to strangle the world. Christina says she wants to know what happened here as the drones are coming towards a city that's all frozen. Hale says, these humans, they're petty defiances. It's exhausting. And then we see Caleb sort of crawling away on hands and knees from her. Oh, boy. So actually, I think we might get all characters in the next episode. The only one I can't remember if we saw in the preview was Bernard. Yeah, he's there. He was there? Yeah. Because I need to get him. I have to get him next episode. Oh, yeah. We can't sit on that any longer. There's only a few episodes left. Mm Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts on episode five? No, I'm enjoying this season. I'm enjoying doing this podcast. Westworld is back. I can't say that anymore because it's almost gone again. (laughs) But HBO is back and the CKC is back and we're loving it. Thank you so much, Clatchers, for listening. And don't forget to tell your friends about us. Tell your family. Tell your mother. Tell your father. They probably don't know how to listen to a podcast, so show them how to do it. (laughs) Till next time, this round's on me. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CKC Podcast. And if you'd like to support Jason and Christina and would love even more content, including bonus casts and movie reviews, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash CKC Podcast. This round is on me. 